0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy.
1: Uh, last weekend, I wasn't here. I was in Dallas at this military training academy. Called Alert. I don't know if you've ever heard of Alert, but I was speaking at their 25 year uh, anniversary like reunion. I didn't know it was the 25 year anniversary. I thought I was just speaking at something down there, and uh, one of our graduates helps run that, uh, Samuel Kilpatrick, great guy. And so I went from this environment into a military environment, which is uh, quite the transition. I have never heard uh, the word sir so much in a 24-hour period. I was referred to as sir. I would just say the most, you know, simple thing. Yes, sir. Uh, Sir. I mean, everywhere. I was sir. And so I felt very important when I was there. But I also, (laughs) I felt the distinct lack of that term being used by me. And so if I was, someone said, it's probably good that your hair was short when you went in. It's like, yeah, it is good. Uh, But, uh, and so you're going to notice that the theme that, that I have this week, it's It has nothing to do with the fact that I was at a military training academy last weekend, okay? Nothing to do with that. It has to do with something. It's more the irony that I was at a military training academy last week than anything else. But it was, there's a deep work of grace that God is doing in my life to refresh things. You ever had it where God will come back and he'll touch something, and it's an obvious truth, but, and you almost feel like you've never heard it before, but if you go back through the annals of your life, You've studied this thing multiple times, you've gone through it, and I feel like God is almost wanting to create a blank canvas and then paint afresh upon it. And so it has to do with the spirit war that we are engaged in and the realities of this other realm and how we relate to it. And whenever you get close to that topic, especially in mixed gatherings, it's a, it, it can be very dangerous. And I just want to acknowledge that up front, that what we're talking about there's like this very narrow channel that I can walk today in which we, we end up at the very conclusion united without being disturbed. And that is because of the disturbances that the enemy has brought to this exact topic. If I use the term spiritual warfare, it triggers all sorts of things inside of me. Just like when I said spiritual gifts. Why is that? Is it because it's not biblical? No. It's very biblical but there's certain camps in Christianity that have run roughshod over it to the point where it almost spoils it for the rest of us. The ones of us that want to say, what does the Bible say? We just want to employ what the Word of God says. We don't want to add any extra traditions to it or any nonsense to it. We just want to say, this is what the Bible commands us to do. We want to do it. So how do we do it? And that's what I want to talk about, is I want to actually go straight into this as a tactical maneuver for our church. I feel it's very, very important uh, because as I walk through this, I can almost guarantee that every single one of you is going to recognize you're in the midst of a war. That's the one thing I would say the devil wants to con you into more than anything else is you're not in a war. Someone else may be, but you're not. This is just natural events that are taking place. And as a result, if you just think these are just natural events, this is just the way things go, it has nothing to do with the devil himself, then you have a tendency to set down your weaponry. Some of you don't even know you have weaponry, and as, and then there could be some of you that don't even know Christ and therefore have never received the weaponry to know how to even employ it. But some of us, if, if we're going to liken this to football, and I know, sorry to do that to you. I grew up with football. So football is a very easy analogy for me. I know for some of you it's, it's time to take a quick nap, uh, but in football there's... There's an adversary. It's your team, and then there's someone who's against you. And that team, their goal is to stop you. What are you trying to do? You're trying to take this pigskin, this football, and get it into that end zone. And so what is the enemy's agenda, or the opponent's, to be nice? Their entire agenda is to keep you from getting that football into that end zone. We have a football, if you want to say it that way. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. And we need to get that into that end zone. You see, it takes on different forms. There's lost souls. There are people that need to be set free. There are people that are hampered and hindered. And we need to accomplish something in this earth to see that happen. And yet we have an opponent. If you are never taught that and you're just handed a football... So said, this is Jesus. We're like, wow, this is impressive. And we stand around and we sing songs about our football. The enemy comes in and just knocks us over. We have no idea what we're supposed to do with this. That there's a formation to get into. That there's actually ways that we learn to block. Have you ever heard that term? That's a, that's a good football term. Great for understanding spiritual battle. Block. Blocking. In other words, to actually resist. To not just stand there and say, what, what are you trying to do? Whoa, hey. Hey. But to actually be in position, you know, if you're a lineman and you're not in position, you will be mowed down. You have a 350 pound dude on the other side of the line with that black face paint on it. He's going. And if you're if you have no idea what you're doing, you're going down. And so there's a proper position and there are plays. There is something known as a strategy in football. It's called a game plan. And that is the plan to get this ball into that end zone. And then to hinder that opponent from being able to retaliate, to be able to gain any advantage back. And so as we go through this, I'm going to attempt to restrain myself from utilizing the football analogy too much. Because I know some of you, that doesn't play well. Uh, but it, for me, it actually really helps. Because military, I never have been a military guy. Okay? I have spent a lot of time studying military history, but that doesn't necessarily make me a military guy. I have uh, engaged in athletics a lot, so it's easier for me to translate. The strategy of God, understanding how to engage the spiritual enemy and win. See, I added that last little tidbit there because that does help. To engage the spiritual enemy and lose actually might be a good way of describing what many of us have felt. It's not that we don't know that we should win, it's that we don't know how to win. It's like, okay, how to get on the football field and win. Well, that could be a rather thick book, and so could this message. This could be a rather thick message. This is a very cursory overview that we could spend weeks, if not months, going in depth into the tactical maneuverings. If you were training to be a football player is what I was about to say, but maybe I should say a soldier, there are certain techniques you need to learn Boot camp is going to lay a foundational understanding of how to heed authority, how to respond quickly, how to be able to not just make a bed correctly, but react. React with excellence. Have your senses sharpened for the battle you're in. Spiritual training, when you come into this thing called the kingdom of heaven, you need to immediately go into boot camp. Most of us don't. We're in some kind of soft version of Christianity, which does not make us fit and ready The battle. So the devil hits us, and we have no idea that we even had an enemy. And so, what I want to do is rehearse basics. I want to bring us back to basic training, if you will, and recognize that each one of these things that we're going to bring up demands exercise. You don't just learn how to do something well by doing it once. And many of us have attempted to do various things in our spiritual walk, but we attempted to do them once, twice, maybe three times, and it wasn't very effective. And so as a result, we gave up or said, oh, maybe that's uh, not something I should be doing, as opposed to recognizing that this is something we must train for to be excellent at. So I'm going to give away everything right in the very beginning in this one scripture. Okay? This is a very well-known scripture. If any of you have uh, memorized the armor of God's uh, statements, our battle is not against flesh and blood, Uh, This is right before that. Ephesians 6.10, and in this one statement is the answer to the entire message. How to engage in this spiritual war with a spiritual enemy and win. Okay, now, I'm going to enunciate and go into this and unpack it, but I want to just give it away at the very beginning. I don't like to do that, but I'm gonna do it for you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I just gave it away right there. Now, what's funny is, Many of you know these scriptures. Anything I'm going to read, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to do it. Sort of like, oh, well, block the enemy. Oh, yeah, take out the enemy. Send your receiver into the end zone, and the quarterback will throw it to you. You can say, how do you throw? Well, wh- what do you mean by run a, you know, a, a fly route? Well, what do you mean by block? See, if you don't know what these things are, then you don't know how to implement the play. And that's the way many of us are. If I start throwing out terms, like, well, get you should just be binding the enemy. Like, what? what does that mean? Well, did you loose it? What? What's that? Well, you're supposed to throw it down. These are all the terms in Scripture that we are commanded to do. Well, you're supposed to stand. You're supposed to wrestle with that. Throw it to the ground. Pin it. Okay, how do you do that? And since we don't know what these things are, it just is gibberish to us. It's like the Charlie Brown special, you know, where the adult is going, It's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. We don't understand it, and therefore we don't know how to implement it. If you don't know how to implement it, well, then what's the good of it? Implement this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So the word strategy, I think many of us are familiar with the word strategy. Businesses use strategy all the time. The word is actually a military term. It comes from the military understanding, and it actually comes straight out of the New Testament. Most of our understanding of the word strategy comes from the Greek, the Koine Greek, uh, strategos. I added a little Spanish uh, sound to that. Strategos. But that basically means a military general, someone who is over a band of soldiers, is a strategos, okay? And that person has a plan. That person has a mind for that military order, that military uh, function to accomplish something. And that's where the word comes from. So it's basically the mind, plans, and purposes of the military general. Now, we understand who the military general is, right? It's not us. His name is Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the strategy... In the kingdom of heaven is actually the mind, plans, and purposes of that military general. Now, I'm going to give another thing away. I mean, I'm just giving away way too much in the beginning. But since I'm trying to give a cursory overview, and I want you to be successful at that. Some people think we need to come up with a strategy. And I'm here to tell you, we already have the strategy. The strategy, you could call him Jesus Christ, but that might confuse you. It's the word of God. It's the word of God in text. It's the word of God in person, and it's the word of God in action at the cross. Therein lies the strategy of God to get this football into that end zone. And if you understand God's strategy, then you know what you're joining up with. You know what you're fighting for. The talk with Stephen. So, uh, many of you know the Kendrick brothers. Uh, they did a courageous war room. So Stephen Kendrick and and I have been able to spend some really unique times together. Hudson and I had a time with he and his uh, oldest son, and we were in downtown Denver, and it was like one of, I don't know, a favorite memory for Hudson and I, very special. It was a father-son time where we would swap out. He would share a story of faith and answered prayer with Hudson, and then I would share one from our ministry with his son. I mean, it was extraordinary. It was like going back and forth with these stories of God's amazing work of grace. I wish all of you could have just been a fly on the wall. It was so stirring. And I I still remember uh, how he finished. He looks over at Hudson and he says, uh, he shares this one story. And some of you may have heard me share it because it had such an impact on me, even that night. And he says, you know that George Mueller kept a diary for 50 years? And it was a prayer diary. And in this, he wrote down all of his prayers and then the date in which he originally started asking, and then the date in which they were answered. Uh, was rather stirring, right? And one of the stories that he shared is this, this one man that he prayed for for most of that time. I don't know how long it was. It was 30, 40 years. And so you have the date of when it started, and he just knew this guy was gonna come to Christ. And 30 or 40 years later, he dies. George Mueller dies, and that prayer is not answered. And uh, the man at George Mueller's funeral gives his life to Christ. And the endurance in battle is one thing I want to bring to the surface today. Because many of us have a date that marks the beginning of a battle, where we know that God has given us assignments, and we know we're supposed to get this pigskin into that end zone. But somewhere along the line, we stopped wrestling. We stopped engaging on that front, and as a result, there's a column that is left empty of answered prayer. God only knows how to answer. This is what he does. He is very good at doing his part. We oftentimes fail in fulfilling the part that we are meant to play. So in the the movie War Room, which had just come out when we were meeting in this restaurant, so that was what the theme was. We were talking about prayer. And there's a line. I I may be misquoting it here, but it's that elderly black lady that says to the younger one that says something like, Honey, you need a prayer strategy. (laughs) It's pretty good, wasn't it? I'm not very good with accents. Uh, But here's what I want to lay out before all of us. I think we all need to know exactly why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, and how we're supposed to do it. Honey... I think you need a prayer strategy. I'm talking to you. Coach, you need a game plan. Why can my team not win? Coach, you need a game plan. You need to know what you're doing out there. You need to know who your enemy is. You need to know what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are. You play against his weaknesses and you nullify his strengths. You see, we actually are meant to engage a battle. Coach, you need to teach your players how to block. Coach, you need to tell them what a play is. In other words, if you're going to run that play, teach every member of the team what their role is in that. If you're going to get this ball into that end zone, you have to be organized in this. The lack of order and organization, a military formation that we have as a church is almost nil. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, talk about military formation. We do not fall into ranks. That's the old-fashioned term. For even all throughout the Old Testament just start t- saying that term they fell into ranks. They knew exactly what their role was, what their position was and how it fit together. Uh, I think we'd be happy if we knew how to just fall into ranks in our own soul, let alone fall into ranks within a body and literally bring it to the enemy. The basics about spiritual war. So I'm going to give an overview. And you'll, you'll sort of see an infrastructure here. Remember, this is like a 50,000-foot view. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for a hole in that line, and he's gonna break through. Have you ever seen that linebacker? It's always a linebacker, too, and he's mean. Linebackers can be mean. And they're looking to get through that line. They're looking for that hole. They're gonna blitz in, and they're gonna take that ball. They want to stop all forward progression. They want to stand on that quarterback with the triumphant uh, stance of the victor. And what do we say? No way. You see, there is an adversary, and he's seeking whom he may devour. Who does he want to devour? Well, he wants to devour anyone who would dare associate themselves with the kingdom of light, with Jesus Christ. You have an enemy, and this enemy is actively seeking to destroy you. Fact. Fact. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That was my summary, uh, remember, at the very beginning of saying this is what the answer to all of our questions on this are. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That means the devil has wiles. He has schemes. He He has a game plan. He is studying our weaknesses. He understands our strengths, and he's trying to nullify our strengths and play up our weaknesses. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. You are in a very real war, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. There's a well-known writer out there in the Christian community that really gets upset over the topic of war. And he's like... This is so ridiculous. This war metaphor that Christians are trying to use, that pastors are always saying. I'm sick and tired of the war metaphor. That was the quote. It's like, hey, buddy, that's not a metaphor, that's reality. We are in a war. And right now, we're in the midst of a battle, which makes up a war. We're in a whole bunch of battles in the midst of a big war. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility correcting those who are in opposition. Right there is back, tactical maneuverings in the kingdom of heaven. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So we recognize that there is a battle, that there is a will of a devil that is set against the will of heaven. And just like that opponent is set against that team trying to get into the end zone, they have a will that is set against it. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. In and of yourself, you are weaker than this enemy. You desperately need one stronger to come to your aid. So we all start out as captives of the devil's kingdom. We are in a kingdom of darkness, and we are stuck. And unless we can have that strong man over our life bound, dealt with, we're sunk. Unless one stronger comes. And so what that is is preparatory understanding, Jesus himself saying it. The stronger one has come, guys, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to bind the strong man so that I can plunder his goods So the beginnings of understanding the spiritual battle is to recognize that Jesus has accomplished something. As part of the strategy of God, he has accomplished something and bound a strong man so that we could be plundered from the enemy's house. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. The stronger has come in Christ, you are delivered from the clutches of this ancient enemy. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is like such a massively strong statement that it's hard for us to even comprehend. But when you are in the enemy's house, and you are controlled by the strong man known as the devil, and the stronger man has not yet delivered you, this is totally ridiculous. The fact that you have any authority at all, you can't even live your own life. You can want, you can desire to do something. You can desire to live in purity. You have no ability to do it. You are under the control of someone stronger than you. But someone stronger than the one that's stronger than you has come and delivered you and set you free and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. And when you are transferred into this new kingdom, you actually are given the strength of this kingdom, which is stronger than the one who used to control you. So if You are still in the enemy's camp. You are under the thumb and the control of one stronger than you, known as the devil. But when you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, you transfer. You are translated from one kingdom into another, and you are given, you are bequeathed. I love the word bequeathed. You are given that which you need to actually win this war, as opposed to continue in your frailty under his thumb. In Christ, you have power over this enemy. Fact. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Christ, you need not fear this enemy. Just, if you just lived according to these basic premise points that I'm describing for you, it changes your life. Many of you can know it intellectually, but just knowing the truth, you need to understand there is one more dimension and that is to practice and to do. There is an action point in the spiritual life which is very, very important. If I gave you a sword and I said, there's an enemy, and then I said, swing it, and you just said, I believe I have a sword. And if someone says, do you have a sword? Yes, true, I have a sword. But you're not doing the swinging, you're missing a key element that actually causes that sword to work. It's not just knowing that you have the sword and believing that the sword is able to do things, it is actually the use of the sword. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, ...but mighty through God. And in Christ you have been given God-given weapons to utterly humiliate this enemy. So let's go through some basic words that build our word for what we're going to call strategy. We understand the word strategy in a basic sense, but it actually comes from the Greek. So stratia, which is typically understood as the army, it's the, the fellowship of soldiers. It's the host of armed angels. So there's a stratia known as the, uh, the host of, of angels... Uh, the band of ready soldiers, the fellowship organized and rallied for battle, the group strategically united and prepared to go to war and win. So then we have stratea, which is the war. The warfare, the name for the overall conflict between kingdoms, the result of what happens when two adversarial parties engage in military exercise against one another. This is what we're in. We're in a stratea. And so when it says the weapons of our warfare... It's talking about something. There's some kind of warfare. We do not war after the flesh, but we war after the spirit. The general, the strategos, the military general, we know him as the Lord of Battles. In the Old Testament, he's revealed as the Lord of hosts. He's over the military powers. He's the one with the mind, the plan, and the purpose. He is the one that actually organizes that strength of heaven To marshal it against the powers of darkness. The soldier, the stratiotis. The fighting man ready to receive orders from the strategos. And here's a word I want us to land on. And that is, I'm calling it the engagement. But it's it's literally where you... Where the two parties meet. Where the defensive linemen meet the offensive linemen. Where the ball is hiked. Where there's an actual conflict. This is known as the strutuyo or the strutumai. That's a verb. That's an action. So this is what we do. When we are warring, we are doing this. So this is the real-life action of the soldiers, the real-life implementation of the military strategy, the real-life use of the weapons, the real-life wielding of the sword against the enemy. A spirit war. This is not a war in the natural sense, and that's very, very critical to bring up. Because as Christians, our design and our desire and God's plan, mind, and purpose is not to get us at war with each other, at war with other people on this earth. It's to recognize that this world is held hostage. And those individuals are actually being puppeted by a demonic kingdom. And we are meant to come in and not tackle them, not block them, but to actually hit the puppeteers that are actually controlling them to see those cords snapped and them set free to come over to the other side. You see, back in the days of David and Goliath, you know, those days where the Philistines against the Israelites, it was a very physical, natural, fleshly war. And so you had the devil's kingdom that was realized in the natural sense and through, like, the Philistines, and the Israelites, which represented God's kingdom, were fighting them in a very natural battle with swords, with spears, with shields, and many of us can relate to that. It almost sounds fun to come back to those days because that's easier for us to comprehend. But what has happened at the cross is actually it has upped the ante. It has brought the battle to a higher plane. Because back in those days, you'll notice that David wasn't trying to convert the Philistines over to Judaism. He was trying to kill them. He was trying to annihilate them. You see, that was the battle. The battle was in the flesh. In that, it was carnal. But... In our battle, we actually can see, if we want to call it this, the Philistines set free to actually come over to the side of truth. We actually are fighting a higher battle on a higher plane. It's called a spirit war. We do not stratulio after the flesh. We do not do our engagement of war after the flesh. So here's my way of saying it. Anytime I have these brackets around it, it's my way of trying to enunciate something. We do not do our real-life implementation of military strategy fighting an advancement against Satan by the strength of our own ability, willpower, intelligence, brainstorming, and gumption. So right now, there's all sorts of people in Christianity that are taking similar things like what I'm describing, and they're trying to strategize how they can change the world for Christ. And I have such a propensity towards this, okay? I am... I love strategy. I love to use what I call brainstorming. Any of you that know what brainstorming is like, it's really fun. It's thrilling. And I enjoy a good uh, think tank. I enjoy coming up with ideas and just throwing them out there, sticking them on the board. Not against it. I'm not trying to say this is some kind of uh, ungodly practice. But there's something greater. And that is to enter into the strategy of God and to recognize God already has a strategy. And our design is to get into alignment with his strategy, not to come up with our own for his sake. In other words, he knows what he's doing in this earth. He has a plan. It's already revealed, ironically, too. We already have it. It's been given to us. However, it needs to go from that logos range, that that text range, into what, sorry to give you a word that can sound charismatic, it's just a biblical word, but rhema, where it's applied personally, where I know what to do as an individual, where if I'm a wide receiver, I know what to do with that word, with that general's plan, with that playbook. I know what to do, and I know how to implement it. We're not the ones coming up with the plan. We are the ones that are coming to the Spirit of God saying, Use me as a soldier. I am ready to block. I am ready to run. I am ready to catch. I am ready to throw. Whatever our role is in it, to get this pigskin into that end zone. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So many of us grow up with this concept of Ephesians 6, and we know it's there. However, we do some kind of mental gymnastic. I've just seen this for so many decades now of Christianity, where either we look at this as a little kid's verse... It's like, oh, that's really cute. Because you remember, you know, as a kid where you were dressed in this little plastic armor. And, you, you know, you're, uh, what, what was the, we sang the song a, a, a few years ago. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. You see, we have this idea which turns it into almost like a VeggieTales notion. Where David and Goliath becomes a cucumber, no, it's a pickle, against a, what was David in that? An asparagus, okay? And it's cute instead of very real. And so as a result, we take what is extremely real and important. If you want to understand how to implement the word of God, how to utilize the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal but are mighty, you cannot treat this as a little kid thing. This is a Christian thing, and it is very mature. And in fact, the more we mature, the more we understand this when we see this armor as just little pieces like, well, do you have your belt of truth on? You need to recognize the armor that we're supposed to put on is the person of Jesus Christ. There's not some other armor out there that is worthy of clothing us. We are clothed in him. That's what the New Testament teaches. So what you're seeing is a breakdown just sort of like all the military tactics of where the devil wants to hit. Why does he give us armor for that? Because these are the key points in God's strategy that we need defense up. And as I remember William Gernall in his famous work, it was called Christian and Complete Armor. I, I st- still remember this. I was young and I remember hearing this line. I was reading this huge thick book. And his his basic statement was just remember there's no armor for the back. There's no retreat. It's a really fascinating statement. In other words, God's not supplying that. Hey, give me something for right here when I need to turn and run hightail. No, there's no armor for the back. You see, we are an offensive crew. We have a strategy to implement and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Fact. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. That is the conclusive statement. If this is true, then you need to take that armor and you need to make sure you are clothed in it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And we are given quite the weaponry, which I'm not going to teach on today, but literally it quells all the fiery darts of the evil one. No matter what blitz tactic they have to try and come against your team, you literally have that which outmatches it. But you need to, to walk in stride with the strategy of God, not go off on your own reservation. I have my own game plan. I have my own idea of how to do this. You have to be in stride with God's strategy. So the spiritual vocabulary of war. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There seems to be this idea of yanking down things to the ground. The word is a wrestling term. So when we see in Ephesians 6, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the word "pale," but against. So what we see is that we wrestle against spiritual powers. But this idea of wrestling means to throw down and pin so that it cannot function. So we are actually in a position to wrestle. So we're supposed to pull down, as we see here. We're given weapons to do it. And we're supposed to pull down strongholds, enemy strong points in our culture. You could just start thinking of certain strong points in this culture. Well, so do we actually have weapons to pull those down? If you were to, as a Christian, start to think, yes, what happens? You see, if you actually believe what the word of God says that we have, what would we do with it? I think we would implement it. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's understand our most elementary weapon in our warfare. Now, when I, you see, charismatic gets a hold of these same things and they have a tendency to go off in certain things that just have a little more emotional appeal to them. And I always disappoint, no matter which audience I'm in, my entire goal is to get to the very center of it, which is always Jesus Christ. So if you look inside of what I'm saying here, I'm saying let us understand our most elementary weapon in our warfare, the Word of God. You do know who the Word of God is, right? See, when I say the Word of God, you think the text of Scripture. Well, I'm not not saying the text of Scripture. That is part of it but it's the person of Jesus Christ which fulfills all scripture. But the only way we can recognize Jesus is because of the revealed text. So the text, the man, and his actions at that cross. This is our chief weapon. We don't go out there and try and create new weaponry. This is our weapon. When Jesus fought his battle, what did he do with the devil? 40 days in that wilderness to the very conclusion the devil comes to tempt him? It is written. Oh, he deals out that word. And so what we see is a model or a pattern. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, now I'm taking out all the in-between stuff, not because it's not important, because that's not what I'm focused on right now. But he, Jesus answered and said, it is written. Then the devil said to him, such and such, Jesus said to him, it is written. Again, the devil said to him, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. Then the devil left him. So what we see, I mean, Jesus, don't you just feel like he could just go poof? Instead, he actually functions in this body, on this earth, though he is God, he functions in the way a man, a priest of God is supposed to function with the weapons of warfare that we as men and women have. And so what we see is Jesus himself wielding that which is written. I don't want us to forget that. I don't want us to come up with novel inventions today of how to deal with this strategy and the implementation of this strategy. I want us to use the ancient art of warfare that Jesus himself has brought to us in and through the text of scripture, in and through his life lived, and in and through his death died. You see, he has given us the way to overcome the devil. Can any of us argue that Jesus knows how to overcome the devil? He is the one who did it, past tense. He's the one that does it now. In other words, the devil is defeated, but we walk in that reality. The only strength the devil has is our ignorance. When you know that he has no right, when you know that he has no authority, you wouldn't put up with that. You would exert the truth in that situation. You would silence that devil. He works out of our ignorance and our unbelief. When we don't know that he's defeated, when we don't understand the battle, we buy his lies. The word of God is a weapon. So there is our three ways in which the word of God is wielded. Because when I say the word of God is our chief weapon, most of us are only going to think the words spoken and written. In other words, oh, it says this, and then I am to say, it is written. Well, I'm not gonna say that that's a bad strategy. I'm gonna say that's very, very good, but there's two other dimensions to the word of God being a sharp sword and a weapon in our life, and that is it is written, the scripture, but it is fulfilled, Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say it is written. You imagine what happens when you start adding the frost into that? It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, This is done. You are finished. Think about that. We're not just saying it was written in the book of Isaiah. We're saying it is finished in the work of Jesus. That's a big deal, by the way. So the man Jesus is the enunciation of the word of God. You swing Jesus, the devil has no ability to parry that. No ability to stop that. That's a sword that cannot be stopped. It decimates the enemy camp. And then it is finished. The cross, the shed blood. You see, we have something known as the work of Christ, the life of Christ given, known as the blood of Jesus, that the devil cannot operate against. It renders him powerless. Do you know that? You see, when you know that, I, you know it's like being this little scrawny guy. And I, I was going to say like me, but you know, hey, you know, I don't want to get any comments from you guys out there. But a small guy, say there's a five hundred pounds defensive lineman that's just grunting on the other side of the line. He's like, I want you, Lootie. And I'm like, God, are you sure you want me as an offensive lineman in this? You've got to be kidding. But then it's knowing the truth, and it's understanding that my chief weapon isn't my own strength. This battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The ancient strategy of God has already been laid out. It's The life and the givenness and the obedience of Jesus Christ laying his life down as a sacrifice. God himself entering into the strategy that in and through weakness strength would be manifest. There is something about God still fulfilling his strategy in and through weak things. Why would he do that? Why would he choose to make his own son weak? Why would he choose to allow his own son to die? Though we feel weak in this battle, when we enter into that strategy... When we climb into Jesus Christ and we say, you are the victor, you have power over this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I don't care how big that bully is across the line. He is going down. But it's not because you in your own natural state have muscle to overcome it. It's because the one in whom you are inhabiting, the one in whom you believe has defeated him. And that faith that you have in Christ is what wins the battle. The word of God. I'm going to call it the strategy of God. So the twist on this message is that when I say the strategy of God, I don't mean us trying to come up with a strategy. I'm saying we've already been given the strategy. It's an amazing thing, but Jesus, God Almighty from the very beginning is saying, okay, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have... The seed of this woman crushed the head of that serpent. He's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem of a virgin girl. He is going to be raised in this town and he'll start his ministry in Galilee. He'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The whole strategy. But not just the strategy for the victory, the strategy for the implementation through us, his church. I, I, I have to admit, if, if you're just, you know, if I'm in a brainstorming session, I'm in the think tank with God, and it's like, okay, what's a good idea for this? How could we marshal the strength of heaven to, uh, to quash the enemy powers? Well, don't use us. Why don't you just come in and just crush him with your own righteous right hand. I need to use my right hand for that. Just do it, God, your way. Instead, he chooses weakness. This is part of his strategy. You need to recognize the strategy of God doesn't alter generation to generation. It is the same always, and it perfectly fulfills the word of God, just as Jesus' life did. Our life is a living epistle. It is meant to match that strategy. That same strategy in every generation is what has defeated the devil. It has never altered. Do you know that it has always been faith that saves? It was never keeping the law. It has always been faith in that Messiah. We just happened to be post-Messiah when he died on that cross. However, it is still faith in that work of that Messiah that actually brings about the strength for battle. So the word of God, the strategy of God, the mind, plans, and purposes of the military general of generals. The bluster of the enemy. Do you know his weak points? He's got them, starting with the fact that he is defeated. Some of you have been listening to a lot of bluster lately from the devil. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that bluster, noise, nonsense. It's hard sometimes because the devil plays on real things. If you're struggling financially, what, what does he say? Oh, you did it to yourself. And In other words, don't talk to God about this issue. It's your issue. You make it right. You pay penance. Then God can listen to you. The devil does this all the time. In other words, he'll play upon real things in your life and as a result, that he's just a strategist is what he is. He has a game plan. Play upon weakness. Play upon weakness. He studies you the way a coach studies you. He watches tapes, films. That's what coaches do, football coaches. Sit around and watch film. Sounds very boring, doesn't it? I don't know how the devil gets all his info, what his intel is. I, mean, I Have you ever thought that? He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. So how does he get his information? I don't know. I I can't answer that, and I don't really want to go into that and try and guess. All we know is he's very good at what he does. And maybe it's just signals that we do. You know, if you have a twitch on the right side, he's like, I know what that is. Let's hit him right there. I don't know. I can't answer that. But we all can testify, yeah, he's pretty good at what he does. How does he know me that well to play me like a fiddle? Well, he's been around doing it for 6,000 years. And 6,000 years ago when he started... He was pretty good at it. You see, he is very intelligent, far more intelligent than any of us. If you've ever studied what a cherubim is, a, ch- a cherub has four faces, face of a man, the face of a lion, face of an ox, and face of an eagle. They have four wings. They have the feet of a, a hind, but the hands of a man. Yeah, and he's a cherub. He's the che- it was a cherub that covered the very presence of God. He was the elite of elites of God's creation. If you match yourself against a cherub, you're, you'd find that you were barely fit to rule your own life. They were fit to rule worlds. That's the intelligence they have. That's the power they have. And this guy has gone rogue. And you are pitting up against that. And you in your own brawn and your own gusto are like, ah, oh, devil, you can't have this. And he's like, oh, really? And he eats you for lunch. The only way to survive in this battle is you need to have that strong man bow. You see, that's what happened at the cross, which is why we must understand the significance of it. It gives us the escape plan, out, under a stronger authority. You match God against the devil, you just sort of feel bad for the devil. Because that's nothing. God could win this without us. He could just, with the flick of his finger, destroy all the enemy camp. There are nothing to him. And yet us matched up against that devil is like a little sheep against a wolf pack. Odds aren't good. You must have Jesus Christ. You want to start fighting this battle well? You need to know your position. Arming every Christian with the weapons. We shouldn't be the ones being pushed around. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Now many of us, we know that scripture, but we sure don't feel like our weapons are very mighty. To understand weaponry, you need to first understand position. What's Christ's? position at present day where is he well we'd say he's seated at the right hand of the father in heavenly places he the father seated him jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all what's under christ's feet everything So Jesus has mastery and control over all. He's above all, okay? Now you can say, what does that have to do with you? Well, according to the scripture and according to the strategy of God and what is written, his position is your position. You see, now if I just put that up onto the screen and we didn't have the subtitle underneath, you could say, who's his? What pronoun is that? Who's that referring to? Because if I was talking about Adam, you know what, what we are? before Christ Jesus? We could say Adam's position is our position. He's under condemnation. He has a just penalty and judgment over his head. He is in sin, and therefore he receives the just consequences of it. His position is our position. We are sunk. The good news is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we exit that position. We escape that judgment that is just and right, and we enter into Christ's position his position of triumph over sin he is pure righteous and holy and we now share in his righteousness it's not our own it's his it wasn't our goodness that warrants our entry into the heavenly realms it was his goodness and so as a result this is one of the crux points of the gospel his position is our position well where's his position all things are under his feet Let's read it in Ephesians 2. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's your position? You see, as believers, we are in a position. Christ is in a position. He's at the right hand of the Father. But what he's done is he's shared his position with us. If you're gonna do anything in this life, I'm gonna tell you, you do it in that position. If you do it in your position down here in your Adam's strength, you're gonna fail. But if you do it in Christ, you can't help but win. How do we pray? We pray in that position, it's called in the name of Jesus. You see, if you're in Christ, you pray from that position. You live from that position. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But in Christ, you can now bear fruit that resembles the kingdom of heaven. You can actually live this life. And when it comes to a spirit war, you can overcome the evil one. Praying in the name of Jesus. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This is Luke writing of the journeys of Paul. Who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul us and cried out saying, "These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation." And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed I love that line. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her." And he came out that very hour. Now we could look at this scripture and just say, "Well, we'll leave that to the charismatics. We'll let them deal with the devils and all that type of stuff. We're going to be sane Bible-believing Christians. If you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, then you don't want to miss what the Bible teaches. I know things have been taken out, warped, perverted, and made weird. However, the fact that Paul understood his position, and he understood that any of these devilish powers had no authority, and that in the name of Jesus, he could command it? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's sort of like, I think we need to understand. It's like, if you keep getting... Oh, there's a football illustration. So sorry, guys. Sacked. That's when the quarterback, you know, is tackled with the ball. It's a terrible thing if if it's your team. If your quarterback keeps getting sacked, you should start asking yourself some questions. Are we doing this right? If you keep getting hindered in your forward progression as a Christian, maybe you should ask the question, am I in alignment with the game plan of God? And if you strategically go in and surgically remove out of Scripture the things that are uncomfortable for you because... Other people have run roughshod over them. I'm just telling you right now that you're going to be impotent and unsuccessful in your implementation of that strategy. Here's that scripture again. Remember I said at the very beginning, this is the secret. This answers everything about how to engage the the spiritual enemy and win. Be strong in the Lord. What's your position? You need to be strong that way. You see, a lot of us think that we need to be strong... And we have our own notions of what makes us strong. And I'm not saying that some of them are, they're all incorrect. Like if I just study the scriptures enough, if I memorize the scriptures enough, all of those play into our battle. However, your great secret of winning is your position of faith. You are strong in the Lord. Where's your confidence lie? If you were surrounded by uh, a 10 10, uh, foot thick diamond wall and the devil had his little, arrow, you know, that he was going to shoot, he like, I'm going to shoot this at you. Are you at all concerned about that arrow getting you? It has to get through 10 feet of diamond. And so you just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I, I have a shield of faith held up and it will quell all the fiery darts that you would try and shoot at me. Ha! You see, but you have faith that shields you because you're strong in that tower, You're strong behind that shield. You do not fear what the devil can do to you. Why? Because you have armor on. If you don't understand your armor, then you fear what the devil can do to you. What do we have authority to do? I'm going to give you the overview. You'll notice that most of these words have been hijacked. Okay, so if you feel a little uncomfortable, join the club. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Any of you uncomfortable yet? Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Says it twice. In other words, just in case you missed it the first time, well, it's only said once. Twice. Very clear articulation. Now, what's your position? And where is Christ seated? But... At the right hand of the Father, and therefore you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. You're in the heavenlies. Whatsoever you bind in that heavenly place will be bound here. Now, the word "bind" is a really awkward one for us. If I was using football terms, I'd say whatever you block, uh, those those big linemen will fall over. It's like, no, okay, I can understand that. You see, "bind" the word, the Greek word "deo" means to prohibit or forbid. Okay, so say I'm in a military situation, and my, my army may be stronger, okay? And so we're starting this like, I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ Jesus. And so we start marching. The devil knows he's losing territory. If a city is ever being overcome, there's two different ways that people within that city can handle it, and one is to just surrender, throw up white flags and give up. The other is to blow up everything in the city that would be at all useful for that incoming army, and then to run for their life, okay? That's more like the devil, okay? The devil is gonna blow up every bridge, tear up every road. He's going to what we call hinder progression. So if you're gonna cross a bridge to get over a key river, strategically, what's the devil gonna do? He's gonna blow up that bridge before he goes. He knows that you're winning, but he's still gonna hinder your forward progress. So the word bind, is like the equivalent of saying, okay, I see what you're doing, devil. You're going to try and take out that bridge. I prohibit you from doing that. It's like sending a missile in. Or sticking your your tight end and going out there and knocking over the devil so that your wide receiver can go into the end zone. In other words, you're prohibiting that tackle. You are strategically, as a military movement, knocking the devil out of his play. Loose is the concept of breaking open like a prison gate so that that which is captive can come out. And so depending, say your key star player is over the side he's triple teamed. So what do you do? You send over your tight end, knock them over, and then that guy gets loose to get the lateral and run into the end zone. In other words, we are given authority to actually run a military campaign, but that campaign isn't ours. It is his. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist. Don't just take it. Stand up. There's a position. In in our training at Ellerslie, I always have a guy, poor guy. Uh, Were any of you the guy that I asked to stand up? Any of you ever go through? Those guys never stay around long. Uh, (laughs) So they'll stand up, and and I'll say, why don't you stand stand up? And I'll come up and shove him, and he'll fall back into his chair. It's really hard for a guy, by the way. It's like, excuse me. He wants to get up and, and belt me. He's like, what are you doing? And I say, you see, I shoved him, and he fell over. Why? And, of course, the answer is very clear. He usually gives it. Because you didn't tell me you were going to shove me. That's right. You see, but the Bible tells us the devil's going to shove us. So if you knew that I was going to shove you, uh, here's what I say. I go, I'm going to shove you. I'm just about to shove you. So what do they do? They immediately change their position. And they position themselves to resist. When you resist the devil, he cannot shove you over. Eric's translation right there. The word of God is wielded in two key ways. Wielded means to have and to put to use. Okay, so you could have a sword, but if you are not wielding it, that means you're not swinging it. To wield it isn't just to have it, but it's to also swing it. So the word of God is wielded in two key ways. Declaring the facts. This is what we see Jesus doing in the wilderness. He is declaring with his tongue the reality of the greater power. Strong man, stronger. Jesus' work on that cross is victorious. It's actually declaring. It's like a confession of faith, as many of you would understand us describing it as. Declaring the facts. Wielding that which it says in verbal pronouncement as if declaring the words of the word in faith are a very real swing of a sword that cannot be parried. To parry something is like when two swords clash. So I swing a sword and they parry. That means they stop my swing. (coughs) So God's word cannot be parried, which means the devil may hold up a sword but literally slices through it like soft butter and destroys the enemy. The word of God, the textual revelation, the facts of God's kingdom cannot be parried by the devil. They're that powerful. But you need to combine the two. You may have the sword. You may have the truth. Many of you know the scriptures. You actually know what the victory of the cross is, but you're not swinging it. You're not wielding it. So I'm going to call this doing the actions. Actually exercising its commands. When the word of God says do this, then when we do it, the doing functions as a very real instrument of war against the enemy. So let's do some practice here. Declare the word of scripture, the facts. It is written that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It's a fact, Right? And that's a powerful thing to declare. Because when you are in a battle, the word of God has muscle. And so when you know the word of God, and you know actually its impact in this, and you believe it, it's a very real military swing of the sword. So here's my uh, summary at the bottom of that. If God has said it, stand on it and don't be bashful. So now let's practice doing the word of scripture or the actions. Satan, I bind you, I resist you, I pin you down to the ground in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. A little awkward. And I don't really want to be talking to the devil. And I'm not sure if when I'm doing something like that I'm talking to the devil, or I'm talking to, I'm making a statement of fact in the spiritual realm. These powers of darkness summarized as either the powers of darkness or Satan, they will not blow up that bridge. And then the devil could say back, who says Is that you, little puny Eric Looney? No. I'm in Christ Jesus. This is in the name of Jesus that I declare that. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And no weapon fashioned against me shall prosper. You see, I'm standing on the word of truth and then doing it. I'm actually exerting it in this spiritual reality that I live. I don't ignore the spiritual reality. I engage in it. If God says bind, to loose, to resist, to wrestle, to pull down, to throw down, to cast down, to take captive and to stand against, then do it. So here's a starter package for our spiritual war vocabulary. In the name of Jesus, that's a declaration of authoritative position. Binding, it means arresting that which is harming. I said forbidding, prohibiting movement. Loosing, clearing all roadblocks for God's purposes to be accomplished. Resisting, clearly setting yourself in the path of the enemy's advance and commanding him to retreat. Wrestling, yanking the spiritual powers down to the ground and pinning their powers. Pulling down, utterly destroying and tearing apart their operation, their plans, and their schemes. Casting down, to drive away to prison, to lock up, handcuff, to bring under the rule of the cross. Revenging, to exact, to tax the enemy for their unlawful invasion, to sue them for damages. Standing. And here's the summary of everything. So in Ephesians 6, when you've done all, stand. This is like a statement of what? Being in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. In the power of his might. Stand. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. This is our constant state. Not always are we wielding something specifically, but we're always standing. We're always abiding in that armor. In that recognition of his victory on the cross. When the, so here's... I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scripture here. We're just going to go through it, and I'm, I'm not going to stop and spend time. on I'm just going to read a whole bunch of scripture that I want you to take, and I want you to stand on. So when the devil boasts that he has me beaten, and that his strength is superior, I will remember that it is written, All things are underneath the feet of my Redeemer. The Messiah has come and has crushed the head of the serpent and has declared It is finished. And if God is for me, who can stand against me? For greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. My spiritual weaponry is mighty, the pulling down of enemy strongholds. If I submit to God, resist the devil, the devil will flee. The shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. He is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. For my God surrounds me with favor as with a shield. And though a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it will not come near me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I have been given power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt me. My enemies may intend to harm me, but God means all things for good that He may deliver many. When the devil shouts of my defeat, my imminent shame, I'll remember that it is written No one who hopes in in Him will be ashamed, and He has said, He will never leave me nor forsake me. No grave trouble will overtake me. I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I will have an abundance for every good work. No good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly. He has said, I am strong and the word of God abides in me and I've overcome the wicked one. He who spared not his own son, will he not freely give me all things? He who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. When the devil forecasts my doom and attempts to darken my vision of the future, I'll remember that it is written. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers me out of them all. I shall be like a stream of water whose waters fail not. He knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper and not harm. As I make the Lord my focus, I shall be like a tree planted by streams of water which bring forth its fruit in season. Its leaf also does not wither. Those who rise up against me will fall before me in judgment. When the devil conspires to sabotage my onward march, then I will wield the word of God against him. I will declare to him what is written and I will also do what is written for me to do. So, This is where I want us to practically begin to implement this. First of all, the strategy is not something I want you to brainstorm. I want you to freshly come before your God and recognize that you are in a war. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's very, very important that you do. And it's okay to be a little convicted over the fact that you probably have not been wielding your weapons. And so what do you do? You begin to wield your weapons. So I want you all to recognize you are in a battle and there is an enemy that is hostile towards your forward movement. So if any of you have been finding a little friction in your forward movement, makes sense. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The world out there has troubles because they live in a world that has fallen. Everyone has troubles. There's just troubles in life. A Christian has double troubles. Why? Because we also are set against the enemy kingdom and we are his prime target. So therefore, the devil does have limited resource. He is not like God. God is unlimited in and of himself, but then God, mathematically speaking, has double the angels. Satan went away with a third of them. That means you do your math, God has double. So God is God, plus he has double the angels, plus he has the victory of the cross. All right, you know what? I'm glad I'm on his side. You need to recognize that victory. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. For whatever reason, he has a way of working down here and speaking down here, and we hear a lot of his gap. You need to live with your eyes fixed on a higher realm. You need to recognize that it is finished. That that devil, though he boasts a big boast down here, is defeated. And I want you to recognize that this is not a passive engagement with the enemy. This is a very real active engagement. And so therefore, any more than if you were a football team and you were going out and you're supposed to get that pigskin into that end zone, you do not just stand around and toss it back and forth to your buddies. You come out with a very realization that you are engaged against an opponent and that opponent's entire aim is to destroy you. It's a little bigger than football and the fact that he wants you dead. He wants to crush you. He wants to mock you. You need to recognize you are in hostile territory, but greater is he that is on your side than that which is on the other side of the line. Should you fear what the devil can do to you? I know that that black eye paint and his grunt and his growling, and his 500-pound weight, most of it blubber anyways, he Looks intimidating. And if any of you have ever encountered the devil, it can be very intimidating. But the devil is intimidated, not by you, but but by the one in whom you find your life. Like I've always said, the difference between a dodo bird and a sheep, they're both weak and dumb and good food. The dodo went extinct in something like 50-some years once it was discovered on the island of Mauritania. Why didn't the sheep go extinct a long time ago? Because the sheep has a shepherd. There's no way we can win this battle, guys, on our own. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, there is nothing the devil can mount against us. No scheme, no conspiracy, no wiles that we cannot quell and put down with the shield of faith. We are an offensive maneuver against the devil. The powers of Islam should shudder. The powers of the homosexual lobby should shudder. For the kingdom of heaven, present tense, is active. The truth of God, present tense, is able to wield a stronger blow, to tear these things down. The question is, do we as the church of Jesus believe it? So let's get this down to our level, because most of us are probably not ready to tackle some of the big dogs right now because we have our own dogs that are nipping at our heels that are hindering us relational friction, financial friction, health friction. We have very real challenges, they're called hindrances, that I want us to deliberately awaken to today to say, you know what, God has a strategy in my life and I want to engage in it. I do not want to sit by passively throwing the ball up and down saying, God, thank you for giving me this ball. I have a job to do with it. And I can't play with this truth. I've been entrusted with this truth so that I could use it. So when the devil conspires to sabotage my onward march, then I will wield the word of God against him. I will declare to him what is written, and I will also do what is written for me to do. So listen to this. These are all things that we are to do. There's a whole bunch more. This is just a short list. I will remember. You know it's a command in Scripture for you to Remember. Of course, the greatest thing is remember Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross. Remember that he rose again. Remember that he's seated at the right hand. Remember that he's coming again for his saints. Remember, the devil is defeated. You can't forget these things, guys. It's a discipline of the soul. If you're training for the Olympics, what are you doing? You're training every day. It's the same thing. Train. Remembering is part of your training. I stumbled across uh, in my archives, I was looking for something, I came across, it was called Manly Preaching Poems. I was like, huh, oh, what's this, click. And it's all these poems I wrote a year and a half ago, I don't know what it was for, but it was in poem form, all the things I preached to my own soul. The first one was be a man. Or no, it was prove yourself a man, that's what it was called. I read this through, I was like, oh yeah, ah! We need to remember, I will give thanks. So our military operation, we're coming out into the field. All right, guys, let's remember. Let's give thanks. We're in the huddle. Let's give thanks. I will sing. Could you imagine this huddle of, you know, little sheep over here and the wolves like, and we're like, singing over here. I will praise. I will worship. I will obey. I will war. You know what that means? I will engage with this enemy. This is not a passive thing. I will war. I have a warfare. You can't get out of that, guys. You can't just say, well, I don't want a warfare. You have one, whether you want it or not. So take advantage of it. I will stand firm. I will quit myself like a man. That basically means I will be a man. Now, for all the women here, like, how do I appropriate that? That's Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. It basically is a disposition. It's one that goes to war. It's one that does not take guff. It is one that defends his household. So Paul says to the church, quit ye like men, be strong. I will bind that which is hindering. I will loose that which is hindered. I will pull down. I will take captive. I will put on. I will wrestle with the spiritual powers. I will stand. I will pray. And I will certainly overcome. There is truth And it is written, and you can know it, and you can memorize it, but you must exercise it. It does you no good to know truth in your head and not practice it. Do not be a hearer of the word only, but a doer. And it is the doing that the devil fears most. How do you engage the spiritual enemy and win? Here it is, guys, listen closely. You implement the strategy of God. Now, if you take all my raw materials that I've laid out in this and you understand what is the strategy of God, what do you implement? Very simply put, you could say, I implement Jesus Christ. It sounds a little vague, but that's what we're doing. We're taking this man, this God-man, the one who came to this earth to rescue us, and we are implementing him. How? By being in him, resolutely. And recognizing what that means. That means I'm in his death. And that means my flesh has no more power over me because it was crucified at the cross. That means I'm in his burial. That means my old man is no longer in control of this life. I'm in his resurrection. And if I'm in his resurrection, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. If I'm in Him, then I'm with Him in the heavenly place. He has brought me into the Holy of Holies, and I've sat down with Him. And I have access unto the Father, and I can ask for the Holy Spirit. If I'm in Him, then I have authority in this realm to bind things, to loose things, to resist things. And the devil cannot make me his plaything anymore. These are the realities that we have. But our weapon... Is not something we're novelly creating. It is the word of God in text, the word of God in person, Jesus Christ, and what he did on that cross. And it always will be. That is our chief instrument of war. And unless we are wielding that, all this other stuff is nonsense. So when we as the church take these things and get off track and start doing these funny practices, we need to recognize that that's just as much the devil's game as anything else. We wield Jesus You get to know that scripture, stand on it. You get to know that man that fulfilled all scripture. Enter into him, let him enter into you. You become the great opponent to that devil's regime. And you learn what that cross means to all of history, not just to you, but to every lost soul out there. You are the carrying device of everything that will set them free. Not because you can do anything, But you are his chosen vehicle to carry that gospel into this world. So, implement the strategy of God. Here it is, guys. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This isn't you, this is him. It is not your work that saves, it is his work that saves. This devil is defeated by him. Don't you dare try and stand up against him in your own strength. You stand up against him in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. And there is nothing the devil can do to stop it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who could stand against us? No weapon fashioned against us shall prosper. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That is what all of us need to have revived in our soul, and the devil does not want us thinking these thoughts.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.